It is the imbalanced history of rock and roll. I'm Marcus Goldman, and alongside Ray Koob, we are going to be speaking with a former member of King Crimson, David Cross. After his King Crimson days, he's had a magnificent solo career and has played alongside many fantastic musicians as well. The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll is a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network and brought to you by Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hatboro since 2014. Ray. And joining us, David Cross, a great musician who is uh, got a unique role in rock history, but also is an accomplished musician in his own right for a long time now. Your band and as a solo artist and in collaboration with others, and we're so excited to have David Cross with us here on The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Welcome. Thank you. Pleased to be here. Well, as uh, we do with any podcast that we uh, take on, any interview or any subject that we talk about, David, we learn a lot as we go along the way. And your role in a band called King Crimson is obviously the first thing that draws people to your name and their curiosity about you. But there's so much more that you've been doing since that relatively brief time that you were in King Crimson. Most recently, Ice Blue Silver Sky came out last year. That's the David Cross band, correct? That's right, yeah. Yeah, it's the latest uh, studio album from the band. How long did it take you to put the album together? Was it something that you worked on throughout the entire pandemic? And how did you choose the musicians you chose to play with you on this album? Yeah, I suppose it took about 70 years to put together in all. But <laughs> and It was a pre-COVID album really and and the recording was thing was uh, pretty much done by the time covid hit and then i think after that we got into to mixing it quite unusually when we finally got to started coming out of covid two of the people in the band hadn't been uh, vaccinated so we weren't they weren't able to tour so we had to move on at that point so i had to get other people for the live band that carried on after that so it kind of has a, a little period all of its own really in, in, in kind of the history of the David Cross band. How long did it take? It was I, I suppose a couple of years. It was really an attempt to bring together what we were doing at that point. We'd kind of moved forwards and just as uh, King Crimson reduced from five in the, in the period I was with it from five people to four people to three people. So we had reduced from six people to five people to four people. <laughs> The David Cross band. These were the surviving four at the end. So the question was on people's lips, certainly around King Crimson at the time, is, you know, which is the definitive King Crimson? And so, you know, is the three people at the end, is that the definitive one? Isn't that the debate for the last 45, 50 years amongst the KC fans, right? It's a good question, too. Yeah. I and I don't know how he did, but Toby Amys, who did the documentary, managed to sidestep a lot of that with the fan part of it. But it is a question that always gets bantered about. And I think that someone of your stature has the uh, ability to speak to that and many other things in the King Crimson universe. But I definitely want to explore more about what you do and what you've been doing. I'm glad to see that the band, in a progressive fashion, moving forward no matter what that means right people yes. do that that's progress as far as i'm concerned and the music moves yeah. forward but you mentioned pre-covid right around there you released an album that you collaborated with the now late great peter banks and i'm yeah. always fascinated by peter his hand his thoughts his guitar feels and i got to spend a little time listening to crossover which is yeah. ironic for a title 
yes. considering he crossed over between record and release. Yes, that's right. Mind you, there was a long time between record and release on that album. It was. Was it because you were too close to his passing, and you had to wait till you could feel okay? Well, no, but there were two things really. I mean, when we initially recorded it, we meant to record more. And, of course, that always seems so easy when somebody's alive, <laughs> when they're active and everything. So it's like, oh, yeah, we'll get round to doing that. You know, I've, you know, we've recorded a bit together. We'll, we'll polish these ideas up. We'll try out some more stuff, do some more improvs together and see what happens. And, uh, you know, then sadly, of course, he died. And after that, I mean, I couldn't bring myself to listen to it for a couple of years because I just found it just too saddening. To... It's understandable, man. It really yeah. is. And when I did listen to it, for me, it was a very saddening experience because of the sheer joy of life that, that he had and that was all the joy in life that he had. And that was really apparent in that music when I listened back to it. You know, I just remember the fun <laughs> that, he, that he had. You know, I, I, I was, I, compared to him, I just seemed very jaded. <laughs> it's funny that you feel that way and can say that, though. Yeah, yeah well, it was... It was, it, was, I mean, it was ridiculous. He was just, in a way, he kind of, it was almost like he was naive. Like he kind of, you know, I remember, I remember when I, the first time I kind of worked with him was when we were, I met up with him is when we were touring with them. We did, did some, just did a couple of gigs in the UK and, you know, he was so excited about, I forgot the name of the band, but anyway, his improvising band, he was so excited about being in that band. He said, you know, we don't know what it's going to sound like, you know, it's, it's just, we're making it up as we go along. And, I thought, yeah, you know, tell me something new, but actually, <laughs> just the sheer joy that he brought to that saying that was magnificent, you know. And I, I actually would attempt to put him down with about it at all. It was just he was so, it was so real and so genuine that he was loving, loving, loving what he was doing. And when I did get to listen to this stuff, you know, that's kind of what jumped out at me straight away. Was this, you know, when, whenever he kind of got something going. You know, you could hear all of his attention was in it. You know, he was waiting. You know, he was just savouring what was going to come next. You know, you can hear it in his playing. And so it became, it was very sad to start with. But it became a joy to work on. as I Because we just, we just played it, you know, before. And I hadn't really sat down and thought about it, listened to it. And, you know, as we were trying to pick sections or choose pieces to put in, and I just started to appreciate the, 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 the way that his personality was there all over it, you know. And I was so pleased with that. I was so happy that I'd been able to kind of be with him and share that with him. So I was very proud when it came out and I'm very proud of all the wonderful, um, you know, guests we had on that album who contributed. How far it. back do you go with Peter Banks personally? It was in the 2000s sometime when we did this tour. I can't remember when exactly. But I, no, I didn't know him kind of in the early days. You know, I didn't know anybody really. It's only. <laughs> Wait a minute. How do you not know anybody? How do you not, yeah, and play with yeah. the people you play and not well, know anybody? Well, you know, well, I knew people I played with, but apart from that, that was, ah, that was it. Fair. I remember being, being introduced to Peter Gabriel at one stage, and I think I couldn't have got out of the door faster. You know, I just was uh, terrified of meeting anybody. <laughs> you know. Well, that's funny because you worked with Fripp. I find yeah. that hysterically yeah. funny. Well, we were, you know, we were, we were on top of each other. We kind of got used to each other, but. You know, I was I was much more kind of nervous, I suppose, much more introverted in those days. I, I wouldn't do it now. <laughs> you mentioned improv or improvisational a lot already mm -hmm. in this conversation. 
How is freeformer improvisational progressive rock similar and different to freeform or improvisational jazz? What's the difference between freeform jazz and freeform rock? Is that exactly yeah? How are they similar and how are they different? Right. Okay. I think. I mean, my experience of jazz is that people have such respect for kind of the bebop era and you know just after and just before that that I think that kind of for most jazz fans that seems to define what jazz is for me my father used to be an improviser I grew up improvising and I would quite happily have called what I do jazz you know as I was kind of coming into around the time that I joined Crimson I was quite happy with using that term to describe what I did but after Crimson I kind of came to realize that other people don't describe it that way and don't think of it that way and I think that's because they look at it in comparison with the kind of canon of what you know what is good in jazz and if it doesn't reflect that in some way either by quoting or by you know referencing in some other way you know imitating sound or whatever then it's not kind of connected to jazz and therefore it isn't part of that. It could never be part of that canon always has to be built on what came before. That's the feeling I got. And that seemed to be the way that conversations, you know, when I was studying, I was studying jazz after Crimson quite intently because I was quite interested. I wanted to get get to the bottom of it. I wanted to get to, <laughs> phew, yeah. I wanted to understand it better. I wanted to be able to play better. And so I did try and understand it. I did a lot of courses, played with a lot of people. And, you know, I played with a group called the Bop Squad in London. So I did all my Jews then playing through our bebop stuff. And that in the end, I didn't feel more attracted to jazz. I didn't feel I wanted to go in that direction. I felt I wanted to go back to rock and kind of see where that was taking me because that seemed to be a broader base than jazz had become by that time. What did you bring through that experience with you back around to rock? What did I bring? I, I think one of the big things was not seeing all music as different from other kinds of music. My father was a, a church organist. He was a cinema organist right at the end of the time when there were cinema organs, which meant he was you know, playing for children to sing songs and you know, making sound effects and things like that. It was fantastic. Wurlitzer organ. He was a dance band pianist. And he did everything, you know, and when he got when he got older, you know, he played the organ in kind of working men's clubs, things like that, you know, when the dance bands were kind of being phased out. But, you know, he used to play jazz in the jazz bands. He, we used to live in Plymouth, and which was a big naval port. And, you know, you, you could visibly see how excited he was getting when the Marines came into town. They had fantastic musicians. They all played two instruments, you know, so they were violin and clarinet. Kind of. And, you know, he just loved it. He just, you could see him running out the door. <laughs> to go and play with these people. He said, no, the Marines are in, you know, we got, i got to get down I'll there. I'll be back, yes. eventually. <laughs> you know. So for me, it was, all, it was all that, though. He was, you know, he loved playing the organ as well. I thought that was fantastic. So I never kind of thought of the type of music as being important. You know, to me, you could jam anything and, and, and you just got on and had a go at it. In a way, it's a lack of reverence for anything. I mean, I had no no real respect for <laughs> any, anything or anybody, you know. You know, I really didn't know how much I didn't know at all. There but, is a freedom of going through life without giving a fuck. There, there really is, is, yeah. There is. 
<laughs> and, I, uh, saying... I wish I'd kept that going. <laughs> I wish I hadn't ever got the education, you know, music and found, <laughs> found out how much I didn't know. Because that kind of ruined things for, you know, for at least 20 years. For the years. enjoyment but... of it. <laughs> If there's so much to learn, then once I realised how much I didn't know, I really had to start learning it, and that, that's a big job. I got to the end of that, did I realise that it was a waste of time? <laughs> I should have just got on playing. Oh my! He is David Cross, our guest here on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. Uh, well, there's no shortage of fun that f-word wherever you go i can tell because your approach to things keeps it light and that must make it more fun to be adventurous musically as well the things that you do the, the music that you play i suspect that uh if you've crossed paths with uh, echoes and john de liberto a, a thousand times or two perhaps no i know you're talking about sorry Oh, I, I got to turn him on to all the records of yours I've just been listening to. I'm awful. I did stop listening to a lot of stuff. But that's completely contradictory, isn't it? Yeah. So I spent all this time I spent studying <laughs> okay. music. I never listened it's to okay. it. What the hell was I doing? Hey, I had a lot of questions about the role of music in your life as a kid, but you've answered about three quarters of them <laughs> just through having this conversation, which is great. I got to tell you, it's really wonderful to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Ray, David, this is a great spot to take a break. Would you say we grab a pint from Crooked Eye and we'll come back with more on the imbalanced history of rock and roll with David Cross. As we start a new year, Marcus, it's always good to have the things we know and love so much near at hand. Help us as we forge forward, right? Absolutely. And new beers and good beers from Crooked Eye are a great way to ring in and celebrate. I can see that you see where I'm going, bro. <laughs> Talking about Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hat, bro, you got to go in and hear the music, hear the band, feel the band, and including the Crooked Eye band every second Saturday. The brews, yes, but also. The Salty Vets Barbecue, so delicious. Those fall-off-the-bone ribs, everything. Matt's got this meatloaf thing he was working on the other night. I'm going in just to have a platter. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. So now you can go in and enjoy the full package, including great music, which you always get when you go in. Follow them on Facebook and stay in touch that way and find out what the latest things that are going on, including... The latest brews. I had a couple of those when I was in the other night. Right in the heart of Hatboro Crooked Eye Brewery. And thank you for being a partner of the podcast, The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. 
I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. It is the imbalanced history of rock and roll. I'm Marcus Goldman alongside Ray Kube, and we are back with former member of King Crimson, David Cross. One of my favorite King Crimson albums is Lark's Tongue and Aspic. I was first turned on to King Crimson during the Adrian Ballou era because of MTV. I was a teenager then, and then I went back and listened to the catalog, and the album Lark's Tongue just gobsmacked me. It was all over the place. It was so different than anything I had heard at that point. And to this day, one of my all-time favorite songs in the world is Book of Saturday. That song is beautiful. John Wetton's voice is just spectacular. The guitar underneath your violin, I think, is what you played underneath. Or was it the viola? I'm not sure. But the strings you played underneath especially after that first verse and chorus, just amazing. And that song really pulled me in. And it's one of the songs that I still listen to regularly from you guys. How did that song come together? Do you remember the making of it? Did the music come around the lyrics where you were presented the lyrics by the songwriter and everybody put it together? I honestly don't remember now. I think we usually things I think came from the music first. I got into that habit after Crimson, so I'd, maybe that that was generally what we did. I think certainly that was happening with Scarless and uh, Exiles. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think about Book of Saturday. I don't remember seeing a set of lyrics before the song was kind of underway. But I don't remember much about it. It was kind of it, it was always a treasure. I think it never seemed possible really to improve on it by you know, extending it or doing anything else or adding anything to it. And that's that's kind of the, the attitude we take because I'm playing the stuff now live. And uh, that's kind of the attitude that we've taken to that song now. I mean, I'm pretty much playing what I played there, you know, in the studio. I think I use viola and violin on it, I suspect. But, you know, I'm playing the part, you know, there's a little violin section, high section. I'm playing exactly what's written there because I... I can't think of anything better. If I only could deceive you, forgetting the game. Every time I try to leave you, you laugh just the same. Cause my wheels never touch the road, and the jumble of lies we told just returns to my back to weigh me down. We lay cards upon the table, the backs of our hands, and I swear I like your people, the boys in the band. Reminiscence is gone astray Coming back to enjoy the fray In a tangle of night and daylight sound 
to me it's still just a treasure. I just love it. I'd only done it once before since Crimson. I did it with Alex Carpani, an Italian band leader, and his we attempted to do it once with them, but I was very nervous. It wasn't quite comfortable. It was too frail for me. I was very nervous at that time. But now that I'm doing it with my own band, we've had time just to relax and settle down into it. And we've reviewed it, you know, because everything that we're playing, we've just had to review and say, you know, is there anything we can do to improve this? Is there any new way of doing this that's going to be more us? And the answer has come back about Book of Saturday. No, it's just fine. Just leave it alone. So we're leaving it alone and just playing it. And now I'm relaxed in it. It's a joy to make friends with it again after all this time, really. You know, and, and happy friends, you know, and I tried before, but now I think it's really working again. With that album and some of the other King Crimson albums you worked on, did you all ever craft your songs live the way Pink Floyd did with Dark Side of the Moon? Or did you spend that time in the studio just working and working and replaying and replaying until you found everything that you liked? No, it was all done on stage. It was all done in performance. You know, we played everything that's on Larkstown was played, I think. I don't think I, you know, we might have changed some things when we went in the studio, but um, pretty much everything was what was played on stage beforehand. All the material had been played on stage, you know, and that's the way it continued, really. I mean, some things never got, you know, in my time, never got, you know, properly sorted out. You know, that we were still sort of work in progress going on. Even when we did get to the studio, sometimes things were never really finished. Pretty sure we did, we were doing Red as a live thing on stage. And, you know, I never really worked out what to play on it. And that's reflected in I didn't play anything on it with the inter-recorder. <laughs> but uh, I played else when I worked with Stickman in, in 2018. We did a tour of South America and it was really there that um, we started playing Red. And I finally worked out what I should be playing, which was just playing, playing the tune kind of really. It was just a simple thing to do. But, you know, I was finally happy with that. So that... <laughs> That took me 45 years or so to work out. <laughs> I did want to say and pass along greetings from Annie Haslam, who I spoke to the other day before we recorded this. Yes. Thank you. Pass the back to her if you see her again. Suspect that we will. Uh, she's telling us about her upcoming activities and things that are going on. We'll probably have her back on the Imbalance History soon. Were you at the John Wetton tribute concert? Were you yes, at- that's where I met. That's where I met Annie. Yeah, that was in August. Was it? Oh, yeah. I don't know. It was sometime in the middle of last summer. Anyway, what was John Wetton like as both a musician and human being? Kind of almost that phrase, musician and human being, kind of almost does it really. Um, because couldn't have one without the other, I think, somehow, with him. I think he was kind of so destined to be a kind of a rock star in inverted commas that it was impossible to separate the human being from the musician in a way. I think there were different John Wettons, you know, according to to where he was in his life at a particular Mm -hmm. time. But the musician part of him was, I think, always extraordinary. I think he was extraordinarily talented musician and and that human has to come back into it because he he was one of these people who just seemed to be just naturally good at it all you know he was his 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 ability to hear things his survival skills were really good his playing skills were good never seemed to practice you know hated practicing and rehearsing as far as i can see and (laughs) yet turned up and did immaculate performances you know things that it would take other people, you know, years, well, it do take other people years to get right. You know, it's extraordinary kind of ease with the difficult things in music and the simple things in the music. In music, And, and you know, his kind of heart, I think, kept him firmly fixed on what it was all about, which is something to do with people and music. 
it's something to do with John, you know, as a human being and John as a performer. And he kind of always, he didn't kind of lose that. You know, I mean, I was describing earlier how I kind of spent, you know, a lot of time after Crimson following various red herrings, actually, which were attempts to understand music. But, you know, John never had that problem. Mm. <laughs> you know, he knew what it was all about. Sometimes further, he kind of felt he could do it at all times, you know, and you can't do it at all times. You've got to be, you know, you, you can't do it when you've had too much to drink or whatever or not enough sleep. Yeah. You've got to be fit and well <laughs> and on, on your best form to get away with it. So I, I remember a lovely conversation I had with him in 2010, I think it was, when we were both playing at a festival in Rome. And, you know, we just we had just a sit-down chat, really, about, you know, being a, being a father and that sort of thing. And it was a strangely kind of touching conversation somehow it was it stayed with me always since then so i kind of didn't see a lot of him in the intervening years between crimson and when he died but um i particularly remember that it was his he kind of reached out to me and it was his heart reaching out you know it, it was a real kind of bridge that opened up which could have been around should have been around more really and we were just able to talk in a very really quite open way it was really nice i treasure that little conversation I don't know how long it was, but half an hour or something. But it was really, really valuable to me. So I've um, kind of always treasured him as a, an important person in my life, as, as well as being a fabulous musician to work with and learn from, etc. Well, it's not always that symbiosis. You know, there's no, some people. <laughs> it's, they're like wonderful human beings, but, you know, put them behind a guitar or piano and they're hell on yeah. wheels, you know? <laughs> Man. David Cross, our guest on The Imbalance History, I got to thank you for your time and also for your insights because we always try to learn as we go and sometimes we stub our toe along the way and we learn more stuff because of it. And yeah. you're telling us stuff that we haven't talked about on this podcast much, right, Mark? Definitely. I have a few more questions. I want to talk about some of the people you've gotten to collaborate with over the years. Like back in 90, you did an album with Danielle Dax. Oh, I wow. remember her, just that name popping up in some of the punk and alternative magazines that I grew up reading in the uh, 70s and 80s. And I was wondering, what was it like to work with her? And was it challenging because it was different than what you had done before? Well, everything is always different. True. <laughs> so it, uh, I didn't, I didn't, that didn't particularly strike me or phase me. I just remember it as being a lot of fun, really. And God, it was a long time ago. And I did a couple of sessions. I did, there was one in uh, Old Street in the middle of London, and then I went out of somewhere else, like I don't know, out of town somewhere, and drove a long way to somewhere else. I can't remember. I can't remember much about it now. Everything's always difficult and new and challenging. So there's nothing, nothing new about that. I think she was just a breeze to work with. I don't, I don't remember anything other than it was just, you know, an enchanting experience. Yeah, she was great. You also got to work with the Stickmen on their 2016 album Midori. Did yes. you have a lot of fun during those recording sessions with the band? Well, it's all it's all derived from live recordings, so. You know, it was there was a, a lot of improvisation. I mean, that was one of the things that attracted me to the Stickmen. I, I like, but I like the compositions as well. I think they're, they're one of the band, one of the few bands that I kind of picked up on and noticed before I actually kind of met them. And you know, I like what they were doing. And so I found it for me, it was fabulous to play with them because right from the beginning, they just sort of dropped me in front. <laughs> I said, "You're there. You're the frontman now." <laughs> they just sort of. 
the unexpected front man, right? <laughs> yes, I thought, you know, people usually want a violin to you know, potter around in the background and not get in anybody's way, you know. But they, they, they didn't want that. They did want me to be there. They wanted me to, to be in the front and do something. So it was, in that way, it was great. And I, so I suddenly found myself, you know, standing in front of what felt like, you know, the best, you know, has on, has on numbers felt like the best rock band in the world. It was just absolutely great to play with. You didn't have to do anything, you know. You just stood there and it sounded great. You know, you played anything, it sounded great. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a great bass to play over for you, yeah. It was just a gift, you know. So it was very hard to do anything wrong, quite honestly, which is a wonderful feeling. I've never felt that before then, before that occasion. I never really felt that. You know, I felt I was able to just sit on what was going on and everything I did was going to be right, you know, (laughs) and that was it. And it was lovely. I don't know why. It just kind of the nerves started to evaporate and... And I just started to feel very comfortable there. So there were never any rules with anything. So you just got on with it. Um, no, we, I mean, we didn't plan anything very much. You know, we had bits of music stuck in front of each other every now and again that we looked at and we you know, referred to. But most of it was just listening, listening, listening like mad and just loving being there. You know, it's the obligatory question, David. Uh, I'll drop it on you, which is what's next? What are you working on? What kind of projects are in the offing? Well, I've got one album that's kind of ready, uh, which I don't really want to talk about the subject matter of. It's where I've got various people from the sort of, mostly from prog rock, but from different parts of the world who've contributed their own compositions to an album. So on this, I'm only playing on stuff that I've written one of the tracks and other people have written other of the tracks. And I've just kind of acted as a, a kind of compiler on this. And I'm quite excited about it, but I don't want to say any more than that. But I've got tracks from you know, quite a range of composers and players, and I'm looking forward to putting that together, having that come out before too long. At the moment, a bit of a kind of nothing's good enough phase at the moment. I've been for the last couple of years, really, I've been very restless. I keep trying to write things, and then I ditch them and then I, you know, and I and I try all sorts of things you know I've last sort of six months I've been sort of forcing myself to sit down at a piano and you know and play for five minutes every day and just record what the hell, what the hell happens and see what comes out of that uh, and then I got bored with that <laughs> and then I'm looking back to I got a whole thing based on the I wrote a whole thing I was thinking of trying to write a ballet so I got a whole thing based on the Tempest that I'm looking at and I, I thought that was great and then took it out the other day and I hated everything I, it's I'm really going through an up and down time at the moment so usually when I go through anything like that I think anybody does something quite good comes out the other side so I'm hoping that you know I'm going to find something new um, I don't know what yet you definitely will. You know you will. Come on. You know you will. I hope so. Yeah. But these things have a way of working themselves out there, David. Yeah. They definitely oh, I think do. so. I think it's all part of a process, isn't it? Yeah, I, yeah it really got is. It before you and thanks for sharing some of it yeah. with us, you know. Appreciate I mean, that. we're we're in yeah. the rabbit hole with him right now, Marcus. With the new album, is there any chance you and your band will be visiting this side of the big pond in 2024? Yeah, we are. We're coming in the end of September. Any chance you'll be in Philadelphia? Anything's possible, but got a, you know, I've got a spreadsheet. So, well, we just got sorry, just got something going. Suddenly, we're going to Chile in August, which is nice. Yeah, we know a lot of bands are starting to get their spreadsheets for 2024 live, and we're starting to see a lot of the announcements. So, we're hoping that you've got one to come this way. If you can't yeah. find it, Scott Bluebomb will be sure that we find out when you're coming <laughs> nearby. 
believe yeah, me. Yeah, right, let's have a look. So the plan is, end of the going to Columbus, Urban, Chicago, Milwaukee, Detroit, Indianapolis, Cleveland, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's yeah. on the west side of the state, four and a half hours, hours away. Yeah. All right, okay. All right. And New Jersey? Uh, Sellersville? Ooh. Yes. Yeah, that's 10 that's minutes a- from where I'm sitting. Okay, well, that's a possible. It's an hour from where I am. Right. Well, we'll keep um, our eyes open for that. You know what, man? That's that's a great little theater. That's there a great venue. Uh, yeah, Sellersville Theater. Yeah, that's a, that's a possible. Collingswood, New yeah. Jersey, is that on there? Scottish Rite. Scottish Rite Auditorium. That place has magical acoustics. It does. It was yeah, built by. It, it, yeah. it was built by aliens, Dave. Or was it? Oh, that sounds great. Something called Progstock going on, wasn't? It? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Progstock. Sam was talking about that. I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's that's a possible. We so. might have to go. We might have to go, yeah. Marcus. We're acquiring friends who are going to be there, so that'd be fun. Good. Okay. Well, I look forward to. Uh, I look forward to seeing more of you. All right then. Anyway, uh, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for, for your time, time David, and, uh, and thank you for the great information, the great stories, and the great music. Thank you. We'll keep people up to date right here on this yeah. stupid podcast. Don't worry, Dave. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Have a great, great day. Enjoy. Thank you again to David Cross for a wonderful conversation. If you have any David Cross experiences, feel free to share them. If you have any comments, questions, suggestions, you can email us imbalancedhistory at gmail.com you can also follow us on all social media channels at the imbalanced history of rock and roll the imbalanced history of rock and roll is a part of the pantheon podcast network till the next time we crack the mics at the dark duck studios i'm ray coob i'm marcus goldman this is the imbalanced history of rock and roll It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.